Hello, everyone, Hello. and welcome Hello. to this episode of the Marketing Lab podcast. Um, the goal of this podcast is to give students insights into the link between theoretical and practical hands-on marketing. And so just before we dive in to this topic today, we want to just extend a big thank you to GroupM. We are uh, actually recording our uh, podcast episode in the studios of, of GroupM, and uh, we're super happy to collaborate with them. Now, today, just before diving into the specific topic, I'll just briefly introduce the people. First of all, I am here. I'm Andreas, uh, the president of Marketing Lab. I represent the students at CPS and other institutions within Denmark, within Scandinavia, perhaps. I have a huge interest in marketing. Uh, in my spare time, I work at Samlino, but I'll perhaps elaborate on that further along. Then we have Carl. Uh, he's the growth manager at Hedvig. So welcome, Carl. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And then Mons, the widely published associate professor from the <laughs> research department at marketing at Copenhagen Business School. Welcome, Mons. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me as well. How are you guys? Just fine. Just fine. So looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, I'm good in these uh, crazy times. As good as you can be. <laughs> exactly. So if we let's discuss the topic briefly for today. Um, today we'll really dive into the topic of brand management, a topic you know a ton about Moons. And really I can only say that I love the way Hedwig does it, at least from the outside world. So we'll kind of dive into the innovative way of marketing and follow an insurance company, Hedwig, that is having quite a new approach to insurance to say the least in other uh, podcast episodes we'll have themes such as influencer marketing we'll have low budget successful marketing campaigns looking upon startups medium-sized companies as well we'll also look into customer relationship management but for today it will be all about brand management so first of all i want to introduce the key players let's put it that way uh, on the playing field. I myself am a student at CBS. I'm at my fourth semester, I'm 22 years old, and then I'm the president of Marketing Lab. At my workplace, I do marketing as well, digital marketing, actually. Perhaps I have a role that looks a bit like yours, uh, Carl. But before you'll introduce yourself, let's just dive into you, Mons. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Andreas. Well, basically, I've been with CBS for 25 years. Um, mm -hmm. The original idea was that, that I should just do a PhD and then I should leave again. Yeah. Uh, I'm a former consultant, uh, former CMO of several companies, of which two of these I, I partly owned and sold a few times. Uh, and that with a few times, I mean, seriously, we actually sold one of the companies to, twice to the same buyer. Okay. That's a long, long story. Uh, so I've been outside CBS, and uh, since I came back, I've been very interested in brand management and also in how we work with key account management as a special way of, of working with especially retailers. Mm -hmm. So this idea about branding is actually quite interesting because we have what we call brands and then we have what we call private labels. Mm -hmm. But to the customers or consumers, quite often these two are the same. Mm -hmm. They don't distinguish. For, to them, it's a brand. Uh, and I think that is that is part of it. And what I'm going to introduce you to later is a work that was actually done by two students. They got the highest possible grade in their master thesis. And that was actually the founding work of the book that we're going to speak about today, Brand Management, Mastering Research Theory and Practice. And when was that book published for the first time? The first and time was 2008. Okay. Uh, and we've just released the third edition in 2020. Mm -hmm because the uh, publisher is pushing for it to be a global sales. Sounds great. Uh, sounds <laughs> success. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So that's uh, that's that's what we're working on. Certainly. Very nice. And then over to you, Carl. Yeah, I guess a lot of young people do not really dream about perhaps working in an insurance company, but you do. Why Why is that so? And, and what do you do at Hedwig? Uh, yeah, so I my name is Carl. Uh, and um, I think I, I never really dreamt uh, about working in insurance as well initially uh, when I was uh, growing up. But uh, uh, Hedwig was uh, kind of too, too much of a nut to crack uh, and the insurance industry. So that got me really going on, on, on figuring this out. My name is Carl. I, I work uh, as, as growth manager at Hedvig. And uh, previously, before Hedvig, I've been working on several different startups in, in Sweden uh, regarding kind of launching a product and launching a service. So I spent some time at Spotify here in Sweden and their kind of uh, other companies, their sub companies within uh, their business segment. Uh, before joining Hedvig uh, around three years ago, Ago, uh, where uh, I've been since then and trying to not or crack this nut of insurance uh, together with all the peers at Hedvig. And when you say crack the nut, what exactly are you doing at Hedvig? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm in a, the growth team at Hedvig. So uh, we are a combination of analysts and marketers and designers and strategists that are trying together basically to build uh, strategies about how to find people that can sign up for a service, uh, but also to kind of position ourselves in, in the new markets and the new products we're launching. Sounds great. Very, very interesting. So thanks a lot for, for the introduction. And I guess let's dive into the main discussion of today's episode now. So first of all, today will be all about brand management and then on the other hand, innovation in the insurance industry. So to zoom a bit out in February, 2021, not so far away, McKinsey presented the view of the future of insurance businesses on the NAILBA 39 engagement. And so the analysts basically boiled it down to three main points. Insurance companies must get one younger, two more digital and three more flexible. And one company that perhaps already finds themselves or finds themselves on this path is exactly the insurance company Hedvig, which we're talking with today. So if I can just briefly introduce Hedvig now for you guys out there uh, and afterwards, Carl, you will elaborate. Then Hedvig was founded and first launched in Sweden in 2018. So they have already built up a customer base actually of tens of thousands of customers. And in mid 2019, the company closed a 10.4 million US dollars around to expand further. So currently they provide the services in both Sweden and Norway, the two Scandinavian countries, and they are soon about to launch in yet another Denmark. So in Denmark, they will of course bring competition to the already to some extent established youth insurer Undo. You could say that Hedvig was not really founded on the same premises as the big incumbents in the insurance industry. So instead they are born out of digitalization. Some would perhaps even call them a tech company. They are born out of efficiency and automation to fulfill the vision of giving their customers the fastest and most fair insurance experience possible. So one of the things you do is to, and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> personalizing the customer experience and reinventing kind of skills and capabilities. And so in addition, which is quite interesting, you donate profits to charity like the American Lemonade. So Hedvig, one could say, was found as kind of a response to this kind of complicated bureaucracy that often characterizes the conservative insurance industry. And so clearly Hedvig is out to innovate the insurance industry. Carl, is that too much promotion of, of Hedvig or, or am I all wrong? 
That's a very strong, uh, strong uh, promotion. Uh, but I think like Hedvig's vision initially when we when we launched was uh, we we have uh, for a very long time been seeing ourselves as not as an insurance company, but internally we talk about ourselves as a service company. So basically, I mean, what we are trying to do and and the vision for Hedvig is to reimagine what help could be uh, and how what help could be like digitally. And one of those things are insurance, and that's uh, what we have been been building since since we launched. And like if you if you go back to the roots, what insurance always have been and look at what the insurance industry is today, it's kind of crazy. I mean, when insurance started, it was farmers that went together and put money in a pocket. And then if something happened for one of the farmers, they got together from that pocket and helped each other out. So if all the animals on a farm got, uh, disappeared or if uh, a whole farm would burn down, they went together. And that was actually what built insurance a couple of hundred years ago. And if you fast forward to what that is today, it's like huge, huge companies uh, with shareholders. And over the past kind of decades, they try to uh, minimize costs and increase kind of efficiency to increase the profits. So I think that was the, the foundation why Lucas, our founder, started Hedvig. So he actually worked at McKinsey as a, as a management consultant within insurance. And after a few years, he got fed up and said, uh, let's start the first insurance company in Sweden in the last hundred years. Uh, so that was how Hedvig started in, in 2018. And uh, he went together with uh, one of his uh, old friends, Fredrik, that is a lawyer. And uh, we also like went on that kind of journey to figure out what this could be like. And also the third co-founder, John, actually is, is a a professor in AI and machine learning that uh, also worked at McKinsey within efficiency. So they said, if we put our heads together, what can we do with insurance in, in 2018? Sounds very, very nice, Carl. And just to understand again, how exactly are you then different from the traditional insurance firms out there? Those who have already <laughs> been here in plus 100 years. Yeah, I think the first thing that they try to figure out, and I, I think what is core both to what we're selling and what we're building in, in terms of the product, but also in the brand, which we will go into a bit more in depth here. But I think the, the basic foundation was that what they saw, the, the biggest hurdle, both for developing the experience and actually how you interact with an insurance company, but also within how insurance companies are, are marketing themselves, it's the business model of insurance. So, I mean, the business model of insurance and, and how it looks is basically that when you have uh, a need of actually getting a payout from your insurance company, they have all the incentives there is to, to not pay those out because that's their profits. Uh, the more they can actually stay within the insurance company, the more profits they will have. So, I mean, that is what have happened in the last decades of insurance, actually increasing those, those profits and make it as profitable as possible for the shareholders. So what, what they did basically, first of all, was to build another business model. So how we can, as an insurance company, have another way of earning money than not by paying out less. Um, so how Hedvig's business model uh, works is basically that all the money that goes in from, from the members of Hedvig, we always talk about our members, not our customers, uh, but all the people that are paying in uh, to Hedvig, it's basically put on a separated account that Hedvig can never touch. So we can never take any profits from not paying out those money. 
all that money goes to the charitable causes that the members are choosing. So 80% of all the, the money that goes into Hedvig goes into this pool of money where people can get help if they need any help. And 20% are getting taken by Hedvig so we can have an office, so we can do marketing, so we can pay salaries. Uh, but it's way, way less than the average in the industry. And then if there will be any money left from the claims pool when the year is over, those get those money get donated to the charitable causes. And then on top of that, we built a lot of kind of digital experiences of how actually help from insurance could be like. So that is, for example, if you have a claim or if you need any help, instead of filling in paper forms, you can record a voice voice message in the Headbig app and actually get an instant payout. Um, and there is where the machine learning and AI comes in. And I can can we can discuss that more later on. But basically where where we kind of through change that kind of interaction, how you interact with an insurance company. But I think the main difference is basically the core, which is the business model for Headbig as an insurance company. Yes. It seems like you had a point. Moose. Yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the story because I think uh, you're entering a red ocean and you're doing it uh, as a blue uh, activist. Uh, I think <laughs> you're on the edge of actually speaking about a movement rather than a company. And the fact that you speak about yourself as a service organization and not a financial institution also sets you very much apart in the in the way that you speak about Hedvig. Uh, and I think this is uh, one of the reasons why your, your brand is going to stand out because it's not just that you think differently, you act differently as well. Certainly. And perhaps, uh, Carl, if you can just elaborate then on your vision, like what is what is the vision and mission actually of Hedwig? I think the, the mission is, is basically the, the reimagining of help. Um, so that could be in, in terms of like actually giving out money, but that could be way, way more stuff than that. So basically, um, if something happens if, or if you need help, that is what we actually want to go into. And those are the kind of things that we want to figure out. So uh, no matter if your house gets burned down or if you drop your uh, phone in the wall, it's all these kind of things where you need help. That is the kind of company we're trying to build. And that is kind of service company that we want to to go into uh, so that is the vision of Edvig and of course bringing that help to to all over the world so basically not only helping out as we started out with the Swedish people but today uh, we're soon live in, in all over Nordics but to bring that kind of help to the whole world and uh, basically make it possible to go back to what insurance was in the roots which was actually yeah People that got together, they put money into a pocket where, and they helped each other out wherever somebody needed it. So, Moans, you just briefly touched upon their brand management approach. And maybe just before you can elaborate upon that, Carl, um, maybe you, Moans, can actually discuss your own research within that topic. Yes, I'd, yes, I'd be, please. I'd be happy to. <clears throat> One of the things that I think is standing out here when I listen to you, Carl, is the fact that you that you actually are trying to get back to back to the roots in some in some sense, uh, which actually is where you find the credibility, uh, is where you find hmm. a, a true story where we actually wanted to do something good for, for other people, and that has then turned into a business model in the classical industry, where it is no longer about providing stuff for people, but it's actually making money on their activities. So I think mm. your, your, your perspective actually follows the uh, academic uh, design of where, where brands are, are moving from and to, uh, in the sense that we speak very much about understanding brands, not as something you build and own and manage, but as something that exists in the context of society and actually uh, exists and reflects 
what are the changes taking place in society, because we'll probably see in a f just a few years, if you catch on, which I think you will, uh, that a number of your <laughs> classical opponents will look very, very old-fashioned all, all of a sudden. Just like, uh, if I should take a, a parallel outside your industry, just like Victoria's Secret, apparently mm. is beginning to look like a very old-fashioned brand compared to Rihanna's <laughs> brands uh, that in have focus on inclusive, inclusiveness and diversity, etc. And so maybe That's over to you, Carl, um, how do you approach brand management? What kind of thoughts are you having uh, at your specific company, within <laughs> your team, perhaps? I think uh, to that point, I think like the things that we are trying to do in our brand is basically like, since we have a quite different way of earning money, we can actually build a quite different brand. So uh, one of the things that we are really trying to do, so insurance marketing, like we, we've uh, tried to learn a lot about marketing. And uh, I think it's also worth uh, mentioning that people working at Hedvig, uh, we of course have insurance specialists with people from the insurance industry that works in the company but when it comes to the marketing department when it comes to the product development department of the the Hedvig app and the, the experience we actually chosen initially to not hire people from the insurance industry so we've chosen actively to have people uh, a lot of the people in the marketing and brand development department at Hedvig are people coming from a lot of different companies and work with developing brands in that sense and the same thing as product department we have people from tech companies that are trying to say they, they're very good at building a tech product so why not approach this to help and why not approach this to insurance but I think in, if you look at the brands that we see in insurance and uh, the incumbents such as Trygg and Top Denmark and uh, IF and these companies a lot of marketing in insurance have been built on scarcity. So it's this kind of thing that uh, you scare people off and say that you better have insurance because these things will happen. And if you're not having insurance, you, you will be scared. And the approach that we try to, to do with Hedvig is basically flipping that around and, and not talking about scarcity, but talking about actually what you can do when having this product and service, uh, which goes into the kind of tagline which Hedvig has today, which is it's your stuff. You shouldn't be scared about living your life. You shouldn't be scared about doing the things you love. Uh, that's why you have insurance. So basically, uh, that is the kind of approach we do to, to branding. We're not talking about scarcity, but rather talking about about what you can do when having and the lifestyle that you can have if you have this product or service, which is Hedvig. Um, just moans on that, what, what is your take in, in general to kind of flip that around, taking perhaps the traditional approach uh, within, yeah, you could say marketing just in the insurance vertical, you could call it, and just flipping it around? Well, as you have been able to see here in the studio, um, I've been nodding and smiling all the way. Uh, because I think <laughs> that what we're seeing here is actually a, uh, perhaps not conscious, but it's actually a, a way of working which is very much aligned to neuropsychology, where we actually know that, that people are much more inclined to work with positive messages than they are with the pain situations. So uh, just a note mm -hmm. here, um, we'll probably see a change over the next few years. In, in arguments in marketing and sales uh, concerning from going from pain focus into gain focus. So it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm uh, you, you hit it right on the nail. Sounds great. Which uh, I'm just super excited about hearing, hearing more about that. Which, which industries and companies do you think, or like which industries do you think that you've seen this change in before on from, from a negative to, to positive message? I think so just it's, it's so interesting super, super since you've been doing a lot of this. Yeah. 
we can see it, it actually comes out of selling. Uh, so some of the new perceptions on sales management is actually mm. that we that we move into this sense making and understanding how the customer thinks. And um, we just at CBS uh, had a major research project from 18 to 20 that we called the future of sales. Uh, we just published a book on it. Uh, we actually also made it into a game. But the point is that we can see that the, the, the efficient salespeople have grasped this idea that the more they focus on the gain side, the more they can get people to listen. The more they focus on the pain side, the more they get people to move into defense situations where they actually try to avoid things. Uh, so avoidance is psychology-wise not nearly as strong as uh, gaining things. Very, Super very interesting. interesting. And so just perhaps building upon that, Moms, um, I know you've done a lot of research within, yeah, within these topics and you've kind of introduced this paradigm shift. Can you perhaps elaborate for the, for the listeners out there? What do you talk about when you talk about a paradigm shift? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a favorite subject, so uh, I'll, I'll be brief. Um, I think the, the perspective on, on the paradigm shifts that we were speaking about in brand management actually took place twice uh, over the past 30 years. Uh, so the first perspective we saw on branding was actually, uh, academically speaking, uh, one that tried to study practice and then try to figure out what was actually going on out there. And what was going on was that a lot of companies were communicating to the public uh, with the idea that we had a perspective of the consumer as being economically rational uh, and therefore that you would understand exactly what was uh, going on. What actually seems to be supplementing this kind of thinking is that we change focus from an inside-out perspective to an outside-in perspective where we, as marketeers, begin to listen to customers and what they're saying about us. In other words, the, this whole idea about image uh, suddenly shows up as a way to understand the brand and thereby realizing that you may not actually be the, well, you will be the legal owner of your brand, but in terms of what the content is, it is a lot more the question of the consumers and users of the brand that actually puts value into the brand and distracts value from it as well. So just to quickly interrupt you here, so just to understand, so you're really, are you implying that the perception perhaps to a large extent now matters? Oh yes, oh yes, and it, it gets even worse. Okay. <laughs> because it, on, it, it goes on uh, when it, when it, when we go to the second paradigm shift, we can see that it's not a question of just listening; it's actually uh, understanding that consumers talk to each other, and that you as a brand have to, uh, if you want to go through the clutter, you have to uh, take a more activist stand. And this is one of the places where I really love the the way Hedwig is is thinking because it's it's where actions speak louder than words. We do it this way. We have decided to make a business model, which is so and so and so. We will give surplus to, to good causes. I mean, this is a brand. This is a company that is not just in there for the profits. It is a company that, that's taking a stand, and that's where we can see that brands are moving in today. So brands are becoming activists, uh, and I think the best example outside your industry is Nike. Okay. Uh, mm. The example mm. of Colin Kaepernick uh, that they used in, in several of their ads. Uh, when they speak about just do it even if it costs you so so that is where nike has changed from just selling to being somebody who has an opinion that makes sense and perhaps yeah speaking of opinion we've already talked about your slogan just briefly here uh, carl uh, it's just stuff you say and so i'd like to touch a bit upon that it kind of reflects this kind of 
vision of conquering people's vision, or, or, or sorry, fear of loss, you could say, and, and their identity of being kind of an insurance company that helps people to get through a reality that not entirely goes to the plan. I think that's kind of a you thing, definitely. And so it seems that you, you stress us uh, that trust in general is a key priority for you guys. Why is trust so important? Um, both for your customers or your members, um, and perhaps, and you can follow up on that, Moans, I think, why is trust so important within the insurance space? I, I think, um, basically, I mean, trust, like there's a lot of uh, brands, a lot of companies that can can start off and, and uh, bringing a vision and, and bringing something to, to the table in an industry, but I think the, the tricky part for us is that trust for the insurance industry is, is basically what the whole insurance industry have been built on. Like you trust somebody that if something happened that you, you will get help. And uh, I mean, usually people see insurance as this kind of last, last way out, the last help they can get when something happened. If they, they're trying to do it themselves and if they don't have uh, the kind of money or, or the kind of possibilities to do that, they go to their insurance company. And then you really want someone to, to stand there and actually help you out. I think that is the the kind of core thing of, of trust in insurance that it's uh, to me it's it's one of the industries that uh, have the biggest need of actually trust in order for you to get somebody to to uh, to buy your service or product. Uh, but I would love to to hear more about that from from your end. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if if you don't have trust, you have nothing, especially in your industry. Mm. But it goes for many other service organizations. I mean, when you cannot touch and feel the product or the service, when you are in a situation where the only thing you have to to, uh, to sell to people is a promise. Uh, and by the way, we actually begin to define brands as promises. I mean, uh, and it, it could be a promise of quality. It can be a promise of efficiency, et cetera. But, but it's a promise. And I think the key here is that you guys have understood that, that trust is the key promise that will give you loyal customers. So it's about mm -hmm. reinforcing the trust. And um, there's no other place than to, to do that efficiently than on social media because everybody can see what you're doing. Uh, transparency yep. <laughs> is there, uh, meaning that you cannot you can run, but you cannot hide. Uh, not anymore, anyway. And I think that is mm -hmm. one of the places in which the classical industry will be challenged massively over the coming years. Now, you, mm -hmm. you just briefly touched upon loyalty. Don't you see it perhaps as a problem also for the insurance companies that we live in that in a world where perhaps yeah switching costs has been increasingly lowered just look at all the price comparison platforms aggregators out there uh, uh, almost forcing people right to, to switch their provider for a cheaper better product how does that affect marketing of let's say a company such as Hedwig? well i think the, the the key point here is that marketing uh, should actually be a very integrated part of the discussion of the business model and the relationship to customers and in mm. this case, I think that, that what, what, is, what the case here also shows that, that marketing is way too important to be left with the marketing department. Uh, it is about how the organization acts. It's uh, how you react to claims from customers, et cetera. So it, it's, it's building a position and a trustworthiness. Uh, so loyalty is a result of trustworthiness uh, of the organization and its people. Carl, just in your everyday life, I was about to say, how do you work with trust? Is it something that you focus intentionally on, uh, or, or how do you how do you balance that? How do you how do you work with trust, like as an integrated approach to marketing and growth in Hedwig? 
I think one uh, one thing that we've seen at Hedvig, uh, so w- when launching this initially, we uh, we have a lot of stuff that are, is happening on Hedvig that are kind of, we're trying to make it as easy as possible. As we, we said before, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to get help. And I think when launching Hedvig three years ago, of course, there's a kind of thinking of like, will, will this make everyone just claim all the stuff they have and uh, there will not be any kind of business in this? How will we actually get this around? But I think something we realized along the way in these last three years is that you shouldn't kind of, it's extremely impressive of how people treat uh, you as a company when you show them trust. Uh, We've had multiple kind of examples of people that are trying to kind of trick the system and uh, and getting a a claims handler or or something, a payout that they were maybe not obliged to, to actually have. But when we seen that we trusted that person and then afterwards that person got back to us and said, uh, by the way, this was actually not happened. So I would love you to actually pay back the money for you because you treated me so well. And that have happened multiple times during these uh, these years. So I think we have in, in the service team at Hedvig, the, the people that are working with the members of Hedvig, uh, they actually have this kind of process, which uh, our service lead have been saying that we should always, always, always kind of overtrust the people we're working together with and helping out. And that will actually give back at the end of the day. So, um, and we've seen that. And, and so far, I mean, in, in these years that have been working out, you shouldn't, uh, like people are used to see insurance companies may almost like the police officer where you, you get the kind of final say when you, you have a claim and you need to prove yourself. And if there's any other company that then actually trust you, you, you get that back to the company as well. Uh, so yeah, we've been uh, kind of, I think in a lot of ways surprised, but also overwhelmed of how people react when you show them trust, how they show you trust back. Excellent. I noticed that I'm not certain about when it was exactly, but that you've launched some amazing and award-winning actually creatives uh, uh, videos. Um, I wanted to touch perhaps upon how this focus on trust affects your marketing mix. So I could imagine that, and perhaps you can speak for yourself, Carl, but also with respect to your former employees, um, that you at Hedvig focuses a lot on, you could call it the upper funnel stage of, of the marketing funnel rather than the lower funnel, pushing people to, to, to buy a product in the end. How, how do you work with that in concrete, that balance, that mix? I think I think the marketing mix is is uh, is always like an interesting topic where you, uh, as you're saying, like when we're going to new markets, it's a lot of top funnel marketing where you need to basically get out the brand and get an, an awareness of the company. Um, something that we've seen at Hedvig is basically the the importance of word of mouth marketing and actually getting people to recommend you. Uh, that is something that we've focused on since since day one and and the kind of what we see highest efficiency in, which is basically people that are recommending others. So something we did quite early on in the Hedvig journey was to figuring out how we should actually spend money and how we should do marketing in, in these countries. And there's a lot of alternatives to marketing like TV advertisement and the, these kind of medias, which is extremely, extremely costly. And um, these are kind of the medias that usually insurance companies use. They buy expensive TV ads and they buy expensive outdoor campaigns uh, for their marketing and their brand, uh, we try to really go the, the line of actually uh, providing the service that people talk about and actually giving them reasons to talk about it, which goes into the, the, the brand that we're building. 
so one example, for instance, is is something we called Hedvig Forever. That's something we we built out in the second year of Hedvig. So we saw that a lot of the people coming into Hedvig came in from uh, recommendations. So what we built out was basically uh, a feature in the Hedvig app, but also that everyone can use that has Hedvig, which is that if you invite a friend or a family member or the person you meet on the street to Hedvig, you get a lower monthly fee. And that is something that is not bringing in that we're getting less money into Hedvig. That's actually money that we put from our marketing spend and give that back to the people and the community that are sharing Hedvig. So a quite big part of our marketing budget today are actually getting to lower our customers' fees. Um, so if a person recommends Hedvig and invites to, to appear, uh, they actually get a discount on their monthly fee. So we're actually giving that money back to the people that are talking about us rather than uh, spending that on extremely expensive advertisements. I, th I think, Carl, this is exactly where you uh, show that you think like a service organization and not like a financial institution. Because uh, it, it's quite clear to me that you have grasped this idea about what would we like to hear them talk about and how would we like to hear them talk about us. So this um, activist voice uh, in, in this case is actually your... <laughs> customers' activism that, that you're seeing. And I think the, the idea of, of giving money back to the customers or members in this case actually also changes the whole perception of how do we treat each other. Uh, so mm. this, this focus on service management, understanding you as a service business is a key in my mind to, to making you successful because you are, you are tapping into grounds that, that the logic of your competitors will have a very hard time following. Hmm. In general, it seems that you are a very, very, very human-centered company. At the same time, you are super stressing that you use AI, machine learning, computer science, and so forth a ton. Hmm. Perhaps from the outside, it could look a bit like a, a paradox, right? At the same time, you're super human-centered, and on the other hand, perhaps you're, you're super computer-centered. How does that play out, and why it is perhaps not a paradox? I think uh, for us, we, we um, so basically, I mean, 80% of insurance claims today are being on very basic stuff. So for instance, your phone gets water damaged and you dropped your computer in the floor. So if 80% of those kind of claims, that's what insurance companies usually put 80% of their time on to actually figuring out how they should help the people when this is happening. Um, that is the part where we've been trying to use these kind of techniques and actually efficiently in our sense. So basically, uh, we have processes where for very, very basic claims, uh, people can from uh, a claim to actually having money on their account, uh, that could be within minutes. Since if we have things that are happening a lot, we know how to actually handle these and we can automatize those things. Um, so that's something we're uh, doing quite a lot. Uh, but what we're also doing on top of that is actually the people that are working with the members, the service team of Hedvig, they have uh, basically a tool that we built ourselves in-house, which is going into kind of why we're a tech company in one sense, but yeah, uh, service companies more with, but we're building tech. Um, so we have our own tool that actually everyone that are working with our members can use. So the claims handlers on, on Hedvig's side can actually get recommendations on, okay, this have happened to, to the member and uh, this is the amount that we recommend you to pay out. And, and uh, then they can actually do that kind of claims payout within seconds while a classic insurance company, a claims handler would spend uh, hours on actually like filling in forms and, and, and those kind of things. So I think we're using AI machine learning for actually uh, increasing efficiency for the people working 
working with our members. Um, and also automatizing uh, the majority of kind of claims where they we already know what we actually should do with this and actually, yeah, paying out money. So uh, yeah, that's the, the topic where we, we use that a lot. But also what I think why that comes into getting a more human approach, they're actually if we automatize those very simple claims and those very easy things that, that people can get help with, the people working at Hedvig in the service team can spend even more money on very complex claims. So take the example of the house burns down, then that person actually have way more time to spend on helping that member figuring this thing out uh, and not spending time on very, very simple claims like a water damaged phone. Certainly, it makes sense. Moans. What what are your what are your thoughts in general on digital brand management? Should, should it perhaps be a distinctive thing with respect to just brand management in general? Well, I think I think uh, whether it's digital or not, it, it it's a question of having other tools at your disposal. Uh, I think what we can see and hear here from Carl, from Carl is actually very much the approach that we are judged upon how we treat our customers, uh, which is no new thing as such, but in the insurance industry it might be new. I noted though that uh, a number of the biggest insurance companies are beginning to distinguish between simple claims and complex claims and are beginning mm -hmm. to actually to using less time on simple claims because they do acknowledge that it, it's it's going to be easier for them just to to, to, to get it out. We see something uh, parallel in other types of industries uh, that are also based on high tech uh, and that is this companies that, that sells very different stuff like Amazon or ProShop or whatever. And they also have if, they have, if they have a customer complaint uh, in, in small items, they will just let the item stay with the customer and send a new one because the cost of handling that is too high, which is one argument. But the other one, which is more important, is that the customer can, you, you cannot win a fight with a customer. So whenever you try to win a fight with a customer, you automatically lose. So in this case, let them win. And then focus a place where you can actually build stories that can be used to acquire new customers. Would you agree with that, Carl? That statement. You cannot I, win. A I love that statement. I uh, completely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's spot on. Yes. Before actually wrapping up here today, I think we've really yeah been around Hedwig and, and brand management in general. I would like to ask you, Carl and Moans, do you have any tips from your own career path that you would like to share to the students? listening out here um, to us today. Perhaps we could start with you, Moans. Well, if I go first, uh, then there's one thing that I have always been intrigued by, and that is seeing parallels between industries. Uh, so the first time I saw a Toys R Us, I could happily look at it and say, well, that's just a supermarket with toys, because I understood that the business model was a supermarket business model. So the more you can see across industries and see things that are going on there and see where you'd like to be, the more you actually can provide value across industries because they develop in, at different paces. Uh, and since they do that, you can actually bring insight from one industry into another one and help that company become a leader. Over to you, Carl. I think my advice is that brand management and, and everything, I think everything within marketing is uh, changing all the time. And just as we've discussed in this, this kind of session of that, it's it's in constant change on how you can do marketing. Um, so 
to kind of be open to all the new things that is happening within marketing and the techniques and the tools and everything you can do. But also going back to there's a core, there's a core you need to understanding on how to actually get out the brand. And then on top of that, the tools you can do that, for instance, like digital marketing, that is is, is, is a tool that you can learn uh, over time. But there's a specific like theories and actually things you need to understand on how to building a brand that, that is core and then the techniques and the things that will happen in the upcoming 50 years. Uh, you will learn that along the way. But uh, I think that's my only kind of advice that it's uh it's that's what makes marketing very interesting to me which is basically that there's a core on which is a lot around psychology and and how we actually can can uh, can understand that but then the tools they will completely change all the time on how to get that out certainly uh, marketing is indeed an, an ever-changing discipline right um but 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 certainly there are some core elements of it, certainly around brand management that are kind of evergreen you could call them Carl, in general, there's a lot of hype these days around digital marketing. Would you, in general, perhaps advise students to, well, of course, gather these skill sets, but also remember to perhaps look at the core mm. of marketing, perhaps it's communication, perhaps it's brand focused, and gather that experience or learning first? Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And I think it's, uh, uh, there's a study that was done at Stanford, I think it's now 10 years ago, regarding kind of virality effect. So uh, how can you do something viral? And which channels can you do a a thing viral in? And we see a lot of companies that are really good at figuring out one channel or one communication way to get uh, a brand out. But the channels are constantly changing. Just two years ago, nobody, nobody knew about TikTok. Uh, and uh, if you go back uh, 20 years from now, everyone was hanging out on MySpace. And uh, I think it's uh, there's going to be a lot of techniques in digital marketing and the channels will change. There will be a new TikTok in one year uh, and there will be another one in four years. So to understand the core of actually uh, brand and marketing uh, will be crucial. And then the channels, they will change all the time. Makes sense. Insurance companies are also changing all the times. Um, when are you launching in Denmark, Carl? Uh, we're launching very, very, very soon. Before summer. Before summer. Okay. Sounds promising. Thanks. <laughs> so, so here in the end, um, yeah, this is really all we had to, for today. I think there's there's a lot of meat on this discussion. Uh, it's really been a been a huge pleasure on my end talking with you guys. A big thank you to to all of you out there who've been listening. Do you have a last comment? Just one last comment from my own career. Uh, build your network constantly. Make sure you make new connections uh, so people know you and know what you stand for. That's a great comment. I like that. Lastly, don't forget to to follow us on, on social media, Marketing Lab on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. We're not on TikTok yet, perhaps <laughs> in a month or so. Let's see. Anyways, have a great day out there. And uh, thanks again. Carl and Moses. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.